0: This is a cutout from our 2021 Fossite Vision Weekend at Chateau de Fay in France. In this session, Primavera de Filippi, Silke Eryfay and Luis Guthman discuss the crypto commerce and Web3 tech tree. They point to individual enabling technologies and future applications of their individual crypto technologies they're working on. We are now taking these bits and building entire tech trees that map the space of CryptoCommerce and Web3 and broader the space of decentralized cooperation across humans and AIs. These tech trees will then be the base for our presentations at our Vision Weekend this year. Why are they exciting? They're exciting because they map the space of a field so that new funders and new talent can know how they can best have an impact on new challenges. If you're excited about this project and want to help out, please reach out to us at Foresight through our Discord or through Twitter.
1: And so this one here is a really, really, really exciting one. And it's not the last one that we'd actually talk about Web3, crypto commerce and and technologies at this meeting. We have another side breakout tomorrow as well, that I'm hoping maybe you guys join as well. But I think there's really no better people to talk about this topic than who are aware, Sylvia and Louise. I'm really, really happy to have you here. Thank you so, so much for joining. Primavera is a 2021 foresight fellow, and that is, I think, uh, the the smallest of her honors. And you've, I think whenever I look at your buyer, I have like my mind blown. And meanwhile, you're also a deep institutionalist, so like very much also changing, uh, changing the status quo, and changing even on like I guess how you do the signaling through academic uh, academic channels. But we'll Silvia here who <clears throat> is a fantastic lawyer and at uh, at Gnosis, and I think um whenever we need a little bit like non-binding, no legal advice. Uh, just someone to talk to, then I, I re- always really appreciate and chat with you. And we have Lewis here, um, from Starkware, uh, which is a really fantastic, uh, new project that is all about ZK proof. So I think uh, many of you in the audience are quite excited about this technology. And so he'll be a great one for you guys to chat, but maybe let's actually pick up on where we left it off, which is the individual technology trees. Let's use them as a bit of a plot device. And so Silky, tell us a little bit about what if Oh,
2: that is <laughs> no, Oh, that is love for silky,
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> silky. You did. You did I want to create love for yourself. So then it's you, Pete. Okay. So Pete, tell us a little bit about what it is that you're working on. Where do you see this headed? Love is your final end goal. I like it. So share a little bit. What is the technology tree that you created in Web Three and crypto commerce, and how is it that other people can plug in?
4: Okay. Um, yeah, so just as a disclaimer, this was done yesterday, night you know, it's a dinner. And I don't know how this little house came about, but, um, I blame Circuit. Um, so the, the tech pin is not and, uh, this is pretty much, uh, all I'm doing, uh, since quite too many years. Um, and then, and I mean, not, I mean, you know, the obvious people, be people have networks and cryptography and stuff like that, but maybe one more interesting that is, um. Uh, less, uh, common is actually execution and its theory, uh, which is actually quite important to enable blockchain technology. Um, can you share? Who here knows what institutions are? Okay. We have a few, Actually, quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to pretty much a few people yesterday already, but, uh, still a lot of work to do. Uh, so institutional theory is a new theory that, uh, actually was born. A few months, years ago, here in this castle, um, and uh, the idea is to explore how, um, on the one hand, we have like the structure of an institution, which is made by rules and rules, uh, and on the other hand, we have the culture of a social organization, which is made of individuals and relationships. And why this is extremely important for blockchain is because uh, oftentimes when we look at blockchain technologies, we focus Almost exclusively on the question of the institutional design, uh, meaning the protocol, the smart contract and so forth. And we tend to forget that there is a whole underlying or wrapping, uh, thing, which we definitely like, uh, you know, exist, but we don't talk about, which, is, which we refer to as off chain governance, uh, which is all the institutional um dynamics that exist within a blockchain-based system. And the only way to actually understand the way in which a blockchain system operates is by looking both at the technical protocol, but also at the institutional dynamics of the people using that protocol. Uh, so this is uh, very important, and this is, our, this is why this actually is relevant to myself, the so institutional terms. Um, and then what are the capabilities? So DAOs, um, well the decentralized autonomous organization. So the possibility of actually having uh, new models by which people can attempt to coordinate themselves in a more or less centralized or decentralized manner. Uh, we have NFTs, uh, which is, I think, one of the most interesting uh, and revolutionary capabilities that Lushen provide, especially for uh, digital artists, but not only. Um We have like uh, some very um uh, important fashion artist here, too, that is working on NFT. Um, and uh, and then uh, the question about confidence and trust. Um, so, um, virtual technology are oftentimes described as trustless, uh, meaning that we are eliminating the need for trust. But actually, if we do look at the institutional dynamics, we very fast recognize that actually there is a lot of trust clusters that need to be accounted for. But also when we talk about trustless, it's kind of like a negative definition of something that can also be described in a positive way, which is actually building confidence. Um, and so blockchain technology, one of the very important capabilities is that it, it's creating things that we can actually have confidence in. Uh, so it's not just that we are eliminating the trust, it's actually that we are creating predictability, accountability, trustability, and so forth. Um now what is the end goal? <laughs> um it might sound stupid that it says love, but that's because you don't see what's underneath it because it's dark, but it love loves Uh and it's the combination of love and illegality which actually leads to a very interesting end goal. Um allegality is uh, another term that is a little bit strange, um which is basically describing those things that are not legal and also not illegal, Uh, it's just that they exist in these grey areas of the law, but by existing in those grey areas of the law, they are also pushing and they are like triggering, they are like exciting the boundaries of the law, uh, because the law is trying to understand and trying to reach out to it, but is also um, somehow evolving itself. According to this. Um, and so, why it's really important is because illegality is great, but also illegality can have problems. And so, it's really important that we add some love to the illegality. Um, and the reason that this is there is because um, for me, the biggest challenge is actually governance, because all of those capabilities cannot be achieved without proper governance. Um, and, um, you know, mm-hmm. Maybe love can actually help the governance. I don't know. Maybe in any about that, that was, <laughs> that was just like an attempt at, uh, at adding some, uh, uh, human layer to the blockchain world. Um, can you be more like in terms of challenges to solve? You mentioned governance
1: there. What's a specific thing that you'd like people, you know, to solve here? What, like governance? That's, that's a, that's a hard problem to
4: solve. Uh, anything in particular? Uh, I mean, actually, I'm really talking about governance at the full level, but we can try to specify. Um, I think there is like three layers. Uh, the first one is the actual governance of blockchain communities, or that's actually what relates to the institutional layer, meaning that all those capabilities are confidence, NFT, et cetera. Uh, can only be achieved if the community, if the network is actually properly governed, because otherwise there is no confidence whatsoever, because you cannot trust that the system will actually work as expected. Uh, there is also institutional governance, meaning that once we figured out uh, proper governance of blockchain technology, then we also need to figure out proper governance by blockchain technology, meaning like how can existing organizations, institutions, community adopt this technology within their own governance structure in order to improve uh, the transparency, the accountability, etc. And then I think there is also this very interesting global governance level, um, meaning that uh, we have a tendency of creating overarching organizations in order to enable the coordination of people that are interdependent. Um, and I think there is something very interesting in exploring ways in which we can coordinate people on a global scale and on a transnational level uh, without relying on creating new institutional framework, but actually by creating shared databases and uh, and specific protocols and proper uh, governance around that in order to actually maybe solve some of. Uh, some global challenges. Great. So
1: you've heard it quite the laundry list. Um. Yeah. All right. Uh, maybe moving on to Sylvia, I'm bringing your slide up uh, and perhaps you want to give us a little bit uh, of an understanding of your tech
0: tree node.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, wow. We have DAOs in there
2: twice. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> pretty to the safe. So, I mean, in the middle, you can see, so just the protocol from what Primavera said, um, Primavera is very much the theorist, the one that puts the thing in categories and does it really, really well. And in institutional non-categories, of course. I'm much more of a, the practical lawyer. What I do is um find loopholes to ensure that we can stay within the illegal um, space um, Primavera was just mentioning. So I mean... What do I do? I mainly work in uh, blockchain uh, law and crypto law. Um, I'm also a mathematician. But um, you just mentioned, well, there are also DAOs. And I think at the moment, um, Primavera suggested DAOs, the year of the DAO was 2015. I then thought that it would be in 2019, but in fact, it only came about very much to life uh, this year. And I think the year of the DAO is going to be next year. Well, so people should not feel upset if they see the tech tree here with a lot of the DAO the collaboration points. Um What is for me very important in terms of um what can DAOs do? I mean, as you can see, I have put a very radical end goal, which is the end of nation states, that's just a, put it a little bit more radical than what she said, which was more diplomatic. Which is the illegality of the entire space. Um, so, how can we get there? It's basically through the worldwide. I mean, it's a global collaboration on a very rel- uh, on a very um, cost or relatively cost efficient scale for humankind um, to deal with. Um, what do you need for this? You need digital identities, which are the tech stack actually gives you, and it allows you to tokenize. It, it allows you to tokenize everything. It's basically price everything, if you want to say it in a very provocative way. But and you cannot see it here. You have self-enforcing justice, um, which I'm which very very close to mine, but. This year, and um, I want to be a bit more like maybe down to earth on the challenges. What I really care about, and I think Luis can help me with this in a bit, Bye. is <laughs> is the naked government a problem, which is that you have um DAOs and everything is absolutely transparent. A lot of people suggest that this is wonderful. This is how it should be. But in fact, I... It It is not because what we get is, is this black mirror surveillance society which we have to prevent. And for that, um, there is a really nice tech stack uh, which has been developed over several years, which is the zero-knowledge c- proof uh, area. And at the moment, uh, blockchain is not very good with privacy and I really much hope that it is going to improve um, and you're going to solve my uh, naked government Problem But speak test And
5: so
2: this year, it's called all of it, this coming year, it's all going to be about DAOs and how we can um, have, you know, manage or structure this illegal um, space between people in different countries, people working for different DAOs. How do you do it? How can you ensure that you don't not fall full of the tax regulations? So usually my questions is very much to this. But now um Luis, maybe you can tell me a bit more of how you can solve my naked government problem.
5: Let <laughs> <laughs> me get to my uh, tech stack and I will uh take three that will be able to to claim my proof and yeah. shadow. We, we,
1: we we'll we'll try to bring it up, but um for now, perhaps just explain a little bit what are you working on? Who here does not know what your knowledge proofs are?
5: I can
6: not spend the minutes. Yeah,
5: go for it. Oh. Your knowledge proof is a concept was invented, a named in for by two professor or faculty member and, uh, professor at MIT, I believe, uh, and I vice uh, Institute of Technology in Israel. And, uh, they got the Turing Award for it. And basically the, the sort of a problem that we didn't know we had, which was how can I convince you to have a solution for something without showing you that solution? So think about it in terms of accounting. So. You are this company. You want to do a name, and You want to buy this whole company. So you're going to check that you, they're, they're, they're uh, profitable. They are, uh, they're solvent and so on and so forth. The thing is, as of the buying company, I mean, as a purchase company, I need to view all my financial, everything. And now you can walk away knowing everything there is to know about myself. And so VKP is a way that would enable this way where the company, the purchasing company, can actually ask questions about the data from the purchase company without revealing anything else than the information that is required by the question. So let's say, is a profitable company profitable? The answer is yes, no. I don't need to know every sell contract you think you ever did. Or is a good company solvable? Yes, you can check. Uh, I can show you that my bank account to zero. And this is what DKP are. And the cool thing about DKP is that fast enough, we discover that they also break one of the things that actually blockchain does, and blockchain does uh, trustlessness through replication. So, miner replication. So, when the miner creates the block, and the verifier checks checks it, they spends the same amount of time. In complexity, I can explain more about it, but like in terms of number of operation, I'm going to do exactly the same thing that the guy created the block. And so, in ZKP, you can make the the miner or the, the prover spend a bit more time, but everyone after him is going to have an exponential speed up. And this is why ZKP has been talked about both in terms of privacy and for scaling. When it comes to, to crypto, I hope that's an short answer. Yeah. So this was within two and a half minutes on the table, just for hours It's uh, so, uh, so yeah. So I'm gonna yeah, you to ask? Go for it. Okay, go for okay, it. Great. So, so what?
1: What is an exciting end goal for your field? Where do you?
5: Think uh, so I call it edge blockchain, and edge and blockchain is it's a, just word I came up because I couldn't find it. But there's it's gonna go. Uh, definition. So one of the main issues we have with blockchain right now, like Ethereum, Solana, Bitcoin, is that at the end of the day, it won't fit in your foot. Just does not fit in your phone. And you have to, re- to rely on those in Fira or various services that are centralized and could be down or could be formatted in some post-apocalyptic um, uh, scenario. And when we talk about blockchain, we always think of worst case scenario. So you need to actually think about the post-apocalyptic scenario. And so H blockchain, whether just approve you have their name somewhere, uh, is its ability for the actually for the chain to actually trustlessly being able to run in your phone, and the only way to achieve it is using uh the stat, uh, the tech stack that uh Starkware or ZKP people want to build. Uh, there is no other way to get to solve the verifiability issue in the, in a in a scalable fashion. And so uh what it enables is uh trustless execution. Uh so uh, I can write something for you and you can trust me without having to redo the computation. Uh, inclusive transfer accounting, increasing transfer, inclusive transfer which was blockchain provide, but I didn't just completely clear. And what's enabled it actually is actually quite cool. Not much. It just, uh, it was just a very more invention that came out in the last 10 years, which just used very cool math, uh, the fact that blockchain exists, people realize that there was a need for it, and cloud uh, computing for, for the story because it's like we've it got quite strong computers because the prover has to do things, and so yeah, like this is from my perspective one of the most exciting field there is right now when it comes to AI tech in the world, and um, and uh, one thing that I think I wish would be actually soul is privacy, and the thing about privacy is that no one actually here in real life. And this is extremely true in, in in crypto. Like people say, oh, privacy is super necessary, blah blah blah. But when it comes to the end users, they actually don't feel the need. They 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 cannot feel like I have nothing to hide. And this is a very big problem in terms of mindset. So what I do wish to see coming in the next couple of years is privacy becoming a concern, and people actually embracing it and adopting those tech to make a, a like a to solve the naked problem, a government problem, which is. That no, in my perspective, that no one cares. Just slightly annoying.
1: Slightly annoying. Any comments to uh, any of your individual trees? You like you both have ZKP's and they both have DAOs in there.
7: Um, yes. Sorry, quick comments regarding privacy. Privacy is not matter
5: no, no, I'm not. I'm not saying not matter. All. They
7: don't care because actually they don't, they don't care. Something they don't care. Privacy but don't you think it's actually just a factor? Uh, versus long-term concern, and just to try short-term
5: versus long-term? I mean, probably, but you know, people don't care until they care. They want to be curious to us. And so so the only action place where I do for people caring is, is in gay. And actually, it's always bring my, well, I look at those things, like, you know, those sorts of innovation. The funny for story is, it's, I always have this uh, quote from Christensen, the uh, uh, Innovation that I read a long time ago, which says, every innovation looks like a toy out in Belgium. And and so I do expect privacy to become important in Baby because you can't play a decentralized game without privacy because otherwise, like, you, I mean, you can play chess, but that's not really, that not all game of chess. And then from from the chess game, it's like to actually pop out and, and actually came out to the, to the, everywhere. That's the first and I just said. I here,
1: we have a few comments here in the front. Yeah. Oh, oh
2: go, go for it. Do you want to make a comment? No, no, it's just- Um, What I wanted to add here is also that you have um, usually a legal um, problem with this because right now uh, regulators on this planet are very happy with the the transparency of all the systems. And obviously this transparency is not good. I mean, if I see people on Twitter, they have an ENS name on it. And then I look into their transaction history and I see basically their whole bank account, like their whole transaction history. I put it into one of another lawyer. I don't have that many computer skills in that. I then go to Nansen AI and I put it in and I know basically everything on about this person because this person made a mistake. Um, um, having their ENS or just not keeping their ENS, um, account clean. And these things are not going to go away. I mean, they, they, they will be forever and ever, um, associated with this account. I mean, yeah, they could stop using it, but if you are, called John Smith, oh, and that's a bad name, like let's say you j- called uh John from Lipo schaumburg which you know everyone will know this world wants probably your account, and that's all these stupid transactions you made um in twenty twenty one so we really have an urgency on solving these issues, and it's true with the uh, um the user uh, it's not very user friendly um and this is also what the regulator care, but there is at the moment this massive There's, in a way, quite a a regulatory onslaught, which we, however, could somehow solve with having ZKP being, um, have a bespoke disclosure, which several projects are actually working on. So you can use privacy, you can have complete darkness of your transactions, um, but when the regulator wants to know something, you can actually disclose it and you can show that you're not that bad guy, that you only really care. That not everyone sees you're using those really wonderful taboo tokens or whatever stupid dex transaction you did um, previously. So um, these are, I mean, for me, this is the, the privacy um, which I call the naked government problem. We I think we agree totally on this. Um, is one of the main issues. It's also in relation DAOs give so much. They give so much opportunity. You have this thing now which is like squat wells or like this retail investor this very populist um approach to investment which may lead to the end of infantilizing investors or like just empowering people to make their own choices if you cannot get the privacy onto that you cannot you cannot defeat the big guy in a way you can you probably all of you heard like followed the constitution down um attempt to uh, buy the constitution two weeks ago the reason why this failed is because it was absolutely clear how much money these people had. Like, how much did we have to actually bid with Sotheby's? Um, so, lovely uh, owner of Citadel could, of course, just buy the constitution because the auction process was uh, um, a non private auction process and a non private, coupled with a non private money-raising event is just not going to allow us to do the things we want to do so what we need is we have we needed to have dark dolls. we need to have them being saved by louis next to me <laughs> don't,
5: don't give me the killer slippery it's um, definitely i would say that more there before that myself when it comes to privacy uh, um, uh, just to go back to the question about simplicity and, and, and um, uh, brittle systems, um, that's a very good point. Um, and what happened though? Maybe that's true for cryptography in general. It's 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 a, like cryptography until very recently was this field where you have those very smart mathematicians doing very cool things, but only one paper was ever used, and uh, and like and two two different implementations of different things, like hash function, like like three, and like. I so curving like two. And so, the engineering field. And so, mathematicians are great, but listen, they, they're, if you read a, a cryptographic paper, you're like, why don't you speak English? Like, uh, just please write something that like a, a human can read, like an engineer can read. And so, what actually happened. Uh, I mean, like, don't get me started between the addition or some multiplication notation. I will get there. Um, Nonsense. But story there is what's happening though in the last four years when it comes to, to zero knowledge is um, that you have actually an engineering team building cryptography for engineers. Meaning before they said that you had two things, but now physically you actually have programs. And for instance, Stargram got to two minutes of cheating here. But like we just published a C new language which is called Cairo. It's like a general purpose language during complete, yeah, right? Man. And so we try to make it user user and developer friendly at least. And so I do expect that by the time. I mean, and before that there was the credits and there was Circom and Circle is doing an amazing job when it comes to storage. Um, we we getting there with it to the publicity, but it's still a little head because you, it's not like a straightforward. It's just, it's not over a straightforward. You need to think about what information do I why what, what do I need to care about? And that's why the only like the, the only space where I see actually privacy getting explored is a book game called Dark Forest. If you're familiar with and Dark Forest was built by cryptographers it's a cryptographer and so so i think need the hustle to 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 make it happen, but I think it's also it will it's not only because it's real system not only because it's uh, it's hard to make i think it it will shift in the way you're either the developer you're thinking about, about, about your project
1: thank you
4: and yeah i ju- I just wanted to make uh, uh two comments uh one about like why do people don't care about privacy? Yes. I think there is also, um, it's not just that they don't care. I think it's that they get something from sharing their data, uh, which is personalization, customization, and so forth. And, um, and the trade-off is actually usually, well, I want a very super personalized system and I'm happy to, to give up my privacy. And I think that's what, uh, actually is like a very cool head because you can actually like, uh, the knowledge profile, the knowledge database, like you actually could get some level of customization or personalization without having to forego your privacy. And in that case, the trade-off change, right? And so I think that's important. And the other current I wanted to make is with regard to, uh, I think with, uh, with, uh, blockchain and ZKP and so forth, like we can actually move, um, away from this, like from like a regulatory perspective from a system out. Surveillance and oversight and monitoring and auditing, like constantly, uh, to a system of exposed verifiability, right? Which is, you just keep track of things. You keep track, but you don't have to communicate, and no one needs to see everything you're doing. But you know that exposed at some point, you can verify everything that has happened in the past, and that's like a different approach. And you can mean like there is clearly a way to get proper regulatory compliance by using those technologies and ensuring that, if needed, you can actually
5: disclose the information. I do have two yeah. comments. Okay. We have to close out, just, but, Yeah, just one comment. So, I, about the customization, I'm, I'm not sure I agree, but I just do have one thing to say that is some systems that were extremely successful in ch- on blockchain are basically, like, this and either or possible to happen with CPT-based, well, we're probably afraid. So, for instance, mm-hmm. the municipal. V swap now nah, not exist or barely can exist under uh we need a uh, people, like on a private So there is this paper from Darwin, uh Shitra about like differential V swap. It's a very green, it's a very classic. It's a it's a, a small one, but it's a, it's very dark. And the um, second third point which I forgot, uh about post the uh, post. Uh it basically like works today. Like, it, it, it should work, it should work today. We think that black boxes, we don't really know what it's for, how it works. But the, 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 still the, the thing is, until it becomes very easy and if mindset of devs change, we won't see how. Because at the end of the day, those are individuals working in their garage, in their, in their yeah. basement, whatever, doing things that actually happen to be the next big project, the big thing that's gonna, we're gonna use. And this is, like, it can still pop up. It's brief, bottom up.
7: for
1: Thank you. Okay, we won't close the privacy problem today. This is really like the panels here. I really just to open up your guys' perspective because then the real work will be done in the breakouts toward later today where all of the speakers will be um, corralling in front of the individual tech trees about their technology. All of you guys get to join, put your individual notes up and you really hash it out and that's when I think the real conversations happen. We can only like open up a few boxes of Pandora really in this regard and you guys get to close them later. I do want to say, um, you know, uh, like on the privacy, like, yes, I think it will get much more important, especially also because machine learning will become better. Something that we will discuss uh, on the next panel. And so traffic analysis will just become better over the next few years. And so once it's already out there, it's out there and it's kind of like too late at this point. So I think we need to get going and we need to like, you know, um, and um, we need to, I really like have privacy preserving solutions in place ASAP because I think everything that we already have out there right now is already up for grabs, uh, over the next few years. So that, that, that problem will go away. Okay. And that's a very good segue for us to introduce our next panel, which is the removing now from decentralized computing and crypto. Thank you so, so, so much guys for your amazing insight. <laughs> Maybe you could use it as a segue into explaining your Technology tree. What is it that you work on? What is a long term goal for your field? And what um, are bits that other people can help with? Mm -hmm. Great.
7: Thank you so much for the kind words and the nice introduction. It's really great to be here. Um, Yeah, so I guess as a a way of uh, transitioning, um, when people talk about technologies that could potentially aid cooperation or international cooperation, it seems like a lot of people in the sort of futurist or forward looking technologist space focus on blockchain. Um, I think it's possible, though, that um, AI machine learning is perhaps even more significant to the future of cooperation and sometimes um, doesn't receive as much attention from that angle as opposed to other implications of AI. Um, So this isn't something that I work on that much per se, but I thought might still be interesting to talk about this, this general idea of cooperative AI. Um, Probably the person who's most associated with the the idea is um, a colleague of mine, Ellen DeFoe, um, who has a recent paper, Open Problems in in Cooperative AI, that people might want to check out. Um but I'll talk about like a specific area where we can imagine AI, or not very specific, but an area we can imagine AI helping with in the future. Um so basically international conflict is obviously something that um almost no one likes. Um typically when a war happens, uh almost no one is very thrilled about this, or if there's an arms buildup, uh typically this is it's, you know, not necessarily the, the best possible outcome. Um and one really simple way of making this point is any time that you have, let's say, a war. Um, almost always it would be better for everyone involved if you had the same, you know, political settlement or outcome just without the war, war stage of it. Um, and similar for, you know, arms buildups or developing a nuclear weapons program or anything that's sort of costly, typically anything like this that involves risk or damage or death. Um, it's, you know, not Pareto optimal or it's mutually negative compared to some possible arrangement that wouldn't involve these things. Um, and so it's a major topic in, you know, international relations theory of why does all this bad stuff happen that no one wants. Um, and you know, one simple answer is a lot of it comes down to institutional dysfunction or bias or rationality, but above and beyond that, there's also structural reasons why it's really hard to avoid at the international level, um, arrangements or advances that no one wants. Um, and a couple of things that are pretty important. Uh, So one thing that's pretty important is often people or like international actors have really substantial disagreements about the likely outcomes of conflicts or the intentions of different actors or just relevant facts about the world that influence what, you know, makes sense or doesn't. So most wars that happen, both sides think that it's more likely not that they'll win. That's not universally true, but it's pretty common, which implies that they're they have sort of inconsistent beliefs about the world, or there can be inconsistent beliefs about you know what's going on with the rocks, you know weapon, you know WMD programs, um, or you know does a state have aggressive intentions or things like that. And some of the reason why um these sort of information asymmetries persist, um. Is that um it's really, really hard for actors to make themselves transparent about facts which are relevant to coming to agreements without also making themselves vulnerable in certain ways. So maybe you want to allow in arms inspectors, but you also don't want them to get access to information that would weaken your security. Um, or, you know, in principle, maybe be great if you don't have aggressive intentions to allow someone to just hang out, you know, in um, you know, your uh um, you know, like in the Oval Office or in DOD or something like that, listen to conversations, figure out what intentions are and go. Okay, you know, no, nothing to be concerned about here, but also obviously they would leak a huge amount of information that you don't want to, to otherwise give away. Um, and just to be a really major issue here is you, in principle, if you had a completely trustworthy human inspector who could, let's say, you know, inspect all weapons facilities, sit in on all meetings of your political leaders and things like this, um, then it would resolve a lot of the issue, but you can't trust that perfectly a person to actually, you know, not leak this information. Um, and so something that's interesting about machine learning is it seems like, in principle, if you could automate some of the stuff that you might want an idealized arms inspector or be a mediator or someone like this to do, um, in principle, it could conceivably be a lot more trustworthy than any person. Um, so you could design a system such that its behavior, um, is actually reliably of a certain type where it doesn't leak information. Um, and also, you know, that's like reliably accurate in its outputs. So that as one analogy, like a bomb-sniffing dog is sort of a piece of technology that performs this classification task. Like, does a, a bag have a bomb in it? you know, gives out this one bit of information, does it probably have a bomb, or does it not probably have a bomb? Um, But really reliably, a bomb-stuffing dog is not going to leak any other information about this. It's not going to say, like, other stuff that's in the bag. Um, And if you could have, like, a bomb-stuffing dog for things like, you know, is this, you know, is someone planning to build a nuclear weapon? Does the state plan to invade this other territory? You know, things like that. Um, Then in principle, that seems like that could be really useful for reducing certain risk factors for conflict. Like, certainly not Removing the risk of conflict due to the existence of rationality, et cetera, commitment problems. but um in principle, if you could automate using machine learning lots of stuff that you would ideally want an inspector or a mediator to do as a human, um, this might be something that helps a lot with reducing the risk of international conflict.
1: lovely. yeah, we just said uh, George's if I'm open mind as well and uh, speaking a little bit about selective transparency, and I think that's always like a really it's a certainly an undervalued issue that also relies obviously uh, a lot on the cK word uh, that we just discussed, okay, Matthias. Uh, what about yours? Give us a little bit of a glimpse in your technology tree. Uh, and I remember, um, so Fajir has also joined us as a 2022 20, uh, Foresight Fellow. And I remember seeing your application. You were first with David Deutsch and now with Scott Aronson. And that, I think, just having, having like, yeah, I think spending time with both of these, I'm like, so thrilled what's going to come, what's going to come uh, from your direction in the next year. Very, very, very excited about it. And I think, you know, what you mentioned is a very good, uh, also, um, uh, yeah, also, it alludes to, to uh, Jan for you discussing a little bit on what it is that you're working on. What is an exciting end goal for your field? Where do you think we could be going?
6: Right, thanks. Well, maybe in a nutshell, we're trying to build a systems that you can play around with in the end. Because so we built quantum hardware, quantum computers. And the thing with quantum is that it's you cannot use the classical processors, you can use it to simulate them, but you will very quickly run into memory and other limitations. So you really need the quantum systems to play around with. And that's exciting, but also a challenge. Um, I think when I was looking at your slide, the interesting thing is that I also have AI somewhere at the bottom.
1: Who doesn't? <laughs>
6: but <laughs> you also had it in both of the boxes. But the way I see it, I have this feedback loop. I don't know if you can see the, the error there. Um, because I see it very much, what we have seen in classical computing is actually that the development of chips... Was used. These chips were then used to improve again the next generation of of chips. So it was this kind of self amplifying process. And this is a little bit how I see it with quantum and AI, because you can use AI to improve the let's say operation of quantum processors to stabilize them, do all of this, and then maybe create better AI, whatever um, algorithms or so, um, and then feedback this in. So this is kind of how I see the worlds um, coming together there. Um, but then there are many challenges, of course, still to solve on the quantum side. I cannot even read my own. I think so. Um, anyways, um, we we need fundamental quantum physics, um, and I think a lot of science still needs to be done. And this is something that's also very important for me um, to push this uh, field of of science still and educate. Also, I think education is very important here, and then bring it together with the let's say high performance classical computing and create this kind of hybrid hybrid nodes, hybrid um, computing, and the end goal to, goal that I uh, stated there is a quantum internet. So when people talk about quantum, often they only kind of associate quantum computing with it. But actually, there are more pillars in the in the game. There's quantum communication. Um, some folks are already using satellites in the orbit, and they are communicating through quantum states with them. Um, there are quantum sensors um, out there for better, I don't know, you can, for example, make images of your, your brain activities with certain superconducting circuits. So there's a lot of kind of quantum world out there. And connect all of these dots together. I think this is kind of the grand goal uh, for the community um what did i have there is a challenge okay something that is still missing um especially if you look at it from a computer science point of view is a quantum memory so the way these processors work at the moment is very much like fpgas work kind of a real-time thing you run through the algorithm at once but it's very tough to kind of store a certain state in for some time and then kind of bring it back so this kind of memory is, is still missing and i think this is i don't know about what you think about it but for me this seems like a big limitation um, for the kind of flexibility all of this and i would love to see someone kind of building a quantum memory that works on the chip to accelerate everything i was focusing a lot of technology on the technology itself but quantum has this strategic aspects because certain algorithms can be used maybe to um, uh, break some encryption codes that are out there or so and this is why also it's very relevant for politicians and they try to understand it and um, in terms of regulations, for example, there's something that's called the Vassana arrangement. I don't know how familiar with this. It's kind of a list of kind of technology where it's certain member states who will kind of um, agree on this um, regulate technology for dual use purposes. And, um, this is being discussed on an annual or biannual, um, base, for example. And this year, the, the last meeting was just, I think, in October. If in is uh, somewhere in the, in the Netherlands, it's where the U.S. embassy is in the Netherlands. This is why it's called the Wassenaar arrangement. They meet there and they agree on this list. And this year, for the first time, quantum was kind of being discussed. Um, and the way they approached it was a little bit to my surprise, not so much from the use case perspective. Um, like you said, AI or, or whatever, but they really, thought about kind of what hardware can enable these use cases and they had a certain criteria which is the number of qubits so the number of kind of computational elements on the chip which they want to regulate and every, all the technology that is related to this so it is getting there but from my perspective from the wrong direction because i would love to see it coming more from the use cases because dual use as it's kind of <laughs> the word says is about the use and not so much about the technology but that's only my opinion here
1: thank you lovely and we have one more tech to here from, as well, another 2022 Fawcett Fellow. Thank you so, so much for coming, Tom. Uh, I I just remember Mark speaking very, very fondly of you, which is, I think, the strongest signal that, that, that I usually <laughs> operate by. Mark Miller is one of our Fawcett Senior Fellows and really um, uh, and like nominated uh, t- Tom for the fellowship and you co-published together and so forth. So very, very excited to hear a little bit more about your
3: technology treatments. Thanks a lot, Alison. <clears throat> Hi, everyone. I'm Tom. Um, so, uh, indeed, I did work with Mark in the, in the, in the, in the past uh, on uh, smart contracts and improving JavaScript. And actually, that's a, sort of a segue into, into my, the topic I will talk about today, which is I've always been very passionate about creating software, uh, designing programming languages, new languages, and thinking about how can we write software more effectively. And in recent years, I've, it's you know it's been becoming more and more clear that AI is going to be a key technology to help us write code more effectively. Um, and so, so I work in this field called AI pair programming or artificial intelligent programmers. Um, very exciting field because I think sort of an ambitious end goal for it is to achieve what I would call code literacy. So if you think about human literacy the fact that we all learn to read and write and what effect that has had on our civilization if you would extrapolate from that and think about what would a civilization be where each and every one person is able to instruct a machine and program it and, and do its bidding automate any possible task you can imagine i think that would be a huge force multiplier uh, for future scientific discovery and so ai pair programming these days what 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 are sort of some of the ena- enabling technologies well, I I guess a lot of you have heard of uh deep learning, uh the the sort of uh AI models that can now generate text, generate images like generative AI. Uh maybe you've heard of models like GPT-3. These are like very, very large scale uh neural systems uh that are actually able to sort of auto-complete uh text, auto-complete code, autocomplete images. Um so that's a key enabling technology that is sort of uh not quite there yet, but, but really sort of you can, you can see it coming. Um, I mean, ultimately what these things are is just uh, giant uh, probabilistic models that try to just predict based on, uh, you know, purely the probability of seeing a next token based on the prior tokens. Um, and so the other thing that's happened, of course, is a tremendous uh, rise in, in, in compute that enables us to train these models at scale. So there's the scaling law similar to sort of Moore's law that holds for these neural models where you see, as you increase the training data as you increase the model size the so they, they just keep becoming better and better at predicting uh the text and so uh the other thing that's enabling this and i don't think we've discussed this much yet but i i'm very excited about it, is this um open source which is kind of like a social technology if you will right like if you just imagine what has what open source has unlocked for humanity like this this culture of sharing with one another all the projects that we're building and you know each project building off of other projects so that's amazing in its own right uh, but as a kind of interesting side effect uh, these these open large open source code bases like the entire the entirety of github can be used to actually train these ai pair programmers Um, and the third thing uh, is what i call like the api economy so that's the other thing Um, so that is coming together. So we're, we're increasingly living in a world where every service you can imagine is, uh, accessible through an API, right? If you think about, um, you know, uh, things like Uber, for instance, like, you know, taxi rides become available through APIs and so on. So everything that we do in the world starts to become programmable. And I think that's, that's going to open up some exciting paths. In particular, um, you know, one of the things that this will enable um, if you think about traditional programmers, they they already use this kind of, they're augmented by their tool suite, like a compiler, right? Like a compiler will look at your code, it will verify it, it will type check it, and it'll try to make sure you didn't make mistakes. But what a traditional compiler can't do is reason about the intent you had when you wrote the code. And I think, for instance, m- many people here probably are familiar with the DAO and the DAO bug, right? So in in the crypto space, you had this uh, DAO the, the original DAO, which had a bug in it um, that that caused an attacker to drain uh, large amounts of money from the DAO. And so the problem there is like, you know, these are the kinds of bugs that that traditional tool chains can't really uh, deal with yet because they're really not clear about the intent behind the code. And uh, so if code becomes law, right, this is what, sort of the the whole point of, of smart contracts or or self-enforcing code, we really need to become much better in building bridges between human intent and what the code actually does. And I think that's that's one exciting area. The other is, you know, um, what would you build if you were able to all of a sudden just write code by talking to a machine? If you could just use natural language to tell the machine, this is what I want to achieve. The thing comes up with a proposal, you can amend it. Like, what would you be able to do? And I would be very interested in, in picking up conversations on that. If you have thoughts on that, definitely something that I look forward to discussing. Maybe the final thing I want to note and sort of echoing what Stuart said this morning is uh, pointing out the hazards of these kinds of technologies. And so because many people think when you think about, okay, artificial ge- general intelligence, think about models like GPT-3. They, they take text as input and they generate text or models that classify images very accurately. These models can't really harm us because all they do is classify images or generate text. But if you start thinking about AI models that generate code and then you execute that code, and I mentioned the API economy, right? Like imagine, you know, uh, you know the stock market is, is accessible through APIs, right? Like what if you let loose AI systems that generate instructions that you then run on the world's APIs? That can potentially cause severe damage. So that's really a hazard that we need to take to account when we build these kinds of systems. So I would say, echoing Stuart's words, you know, solving for robust AI AI safety is a critical thing that we need to solve before you know building these systems. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, one one thing about um, because I get asked that a lot about like blockchain systems, like you know, for instance, Bitcoin. What if quantum comes of age? Won't we you know be able to reverse engineer SHA to fifty six? And I think the answer to that is always. These are living technologies, right? So as other technologies make progress, we will see the blockchain systems, for instance, adapt their hash algorithms or whatever they do. And I'm pretty sure, you know, once you come up with quantum algorithms that break the encryption, you will also have quantum algorithms that come up with even stronger encryption et- encryption schemes. So you really need to look at it as dynamic systems and a sort of arms race that's going to build up, and not so much as you know, you have static systems today and once they're broken, you know, they they, they remain
6: broken. They will adapt. That's that's at least my belief. I can, maybe, or just one, just no. one <laughs> short comment because it was also mentioned this all encryption schemes. I think it's important to understand that quantum will not break all encryption schemes and there are so called quantum safe um, algorithms. Oh, so it's, it's more like a timing pers- question. How, how long does your organization need to change from, let's say, some asymmetric code to something that's quantum safe? So, and how much money are you willing to invest in this?
7: Um yeah, I was just gonna say the same thing. That um there are already like algorithms have been developed that people are pretty confident are safe against quantum computers. Um so it'll probably be a transition problem as opposed to something that's like a you know, stuff has been fundamentally broken, just people need to transition to different algorithms. it will be a bit costly, but it won't be, you know, finally break it.
1: And do you have any uh, aspect on the the safety and, and, and governance of this? Uh, I think you spoke briefly on the AI part, but it's like the quantum issue it puts out of fuel at all or the my contracting bit.
7: Um yeah, I think I'm not that concerned from a safety perspective about quantum computing. So at least on the cryptography thing, I do think that people are on track to transition to quantum safe algorithms. Um, it might be the case stuff that was encrypted on um, using existing schemes. You know, there could be some security issues, even if it's broken and it's like five years out of date. Um, but I would be surprised if there's really huge issues just because people are aware of these problems. Um, um, I'm not that familiar with... Um, like, I guess sometimes in how suggestions like quantum computing could really substantially speed up machine learning progress. I actually don't know that much about that claim. I don't think I've really seen a very strong argument for it. So it might be the case that quantum computers will have AI related security issues, but, um, it's, um, at least I'm not confident that that's the case and it doesn't seem at least yet obvious.
1: Oh, well, But definitely much interdisciplinary along the horizon. Do you want to make a final comment, Matthias? <laughs> they have addressed everything. <laughs> All right. Wow. Well, I can't believe we weird. We're, we're just getting to lunch and we've covered all the bits of the parade, to uh, terrain from space to neurotech to crypto web three privacy preserving technologies, all the way out to quantum computing and AI. Thank you so, so much. I know guys, it's always like, I think deeply, um, oh, yeah, like, I think what, once you open up the box of funders, you just really want to dive right in. And I just, uh, you know, welcome all of you guys to like, Check out the notes that are around here. Really add your note. In the afternoon, when everyone is just starting to mingle, um, you know, we will really do more breakout style discussions, and you get to ask all the questions, and you get to make all of your comments too. So this is always just like a little bit of a of a box opener. All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining and for this like white melting uh, uh, opening. And all of you guys, uh, bon appetit, and I see you guys here again at one
3: thirty.
0: did this conversation pique your interest maybe it even inspired a bit of existential hope about the future in you search for foresight institute on youtube or twitter to stay up to date or visit foresight.org to learn more subscribe to our newsletter and join our efforts we are entirely funded by your donations so please support us if you like what we do thank you so much for listening